ready to rock. Awesome, awesome. And we are back. Another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kelly. I am super excited about this podcast, A, because it's Monday. And if you know me, Monday is my favorite day of the week because that's when I can get back into the gym. I got a great episode for you guys today. Focusing on school reopening, I have some amazing guests. I'm going to read a couple of their bios. I'm going to introduce all of them. I want to first start with uh, who's about to have our first, our lovely first lady of Freedom Temple, Sabrina Evans. They just celebrated him and Pastor Evans' five years of pastoral anniversary. She has agreed to be honest. Keep in mind, they are speaking for themselves. They're not speaking for the employer. They're not speaking for on behalf of the educational institution that they serve. But as educators and leaders in the industry, they're worth listening to. Check it out. Four plus years of progressive experience in school improvement and management, overseeing academic programs, policies, and initiatives to promote student growth and achievement. 10 plus years of alternative education experience, well-versed in program requirements and compliance, led and managed strategic supports for school improvement, highly experienced in developing multi-tiered systems for support and strategic implementation to increase school and student performance, well-versed in contractual and legal obligations related to academic performance and the production of academic accountability reports, relationship management skills across a variety of stakeholders, um, serving really in a leadership role without naming it deep in CPS. I'm super excited about having Sabrina Evans on the show. And then my next uh, guest who sent me their bio, uh, Desmond Goodlow. Desmond Goodlow is a proud double. He's a double, not just a single alumni at Howard University, where he received his bachelor's in elementary education in 2015. He has conferred his master's in educational leadership this spring, or it is over, so he just got it. Uh, Desmond is now teaching in fellow for Uncommon Schools Public Charter School in Brooklyn, New York. He's received his license to be a principal uh, through the District of Columbia. He's also a proud member of the Kappa Delta Pi, which is an honor society for education. Desmond Gillow is entering into a six-year teaching. He was the first grade and leads math teacher and reading interventionist for first through third grade. He works at the DC Scholars Public Charter School, where he is the second grade team lead and ELA lead teacher. He is inspired to go back to school next fall to pursue his doctorate. You hear it first and loud, his doctorate in education focusing on educational leadership and curriculum and instruction. His end goal is to be superintendent and teach on a collegiate level. He believes that all children can learn and lives by the quote, your zip code should not determine your education. Then I have me, Dr. Darylin Harris. She has her doctorate in education, has been a principal for over 20 years. Uh, she has led many uh, initiatives in the non-for-profit and for-profit sector. I don't have her bio, but I know her personally. She is somebody, somebody. She is a leader in the educational realm uh, and serves in a leadership capacity uh, in the Chicagoland area. Then I have Tavares Kennedy, uh, also a leader in the academic field as well, served uh, through CPS. I'm super excited to have all of you on tonight. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Doing all right. Wonderful. Thanks for having Wonderful. us. Cool, cool, cool. Look, first question, I'm pitching it to you. Uh, Brina Evans, and then Dr. Harris, you can follow up. How has COVID-19 uh, affected education? That is a huge question. And before I say that, um, just want to give kudos to Desmond Goodlow, um, it's truly important to have more Black men in education, and I am behind you 110% rooting for you. You will become a superintendent, and just let me know how I can support you. I will fly to DC wherever you are. Thank um, you, 
No problem. But COVID has impacted education um, in so many ways. It's, that's a big question. And um, I just think that it has brought a lot of educators together, um, a lot of funders together, um, where we are strategically thinking how to best serve students in this environment. Um, it most definitely has its challenges with students having technology, with students having um, internet access. But I would say that it, it's having everyone to start at the same point of looking at how can we be impactful still in this unknown environment. So it is impacted, it's gonna impact funding um, because you know um, a lot of people were laid off, you know, dealing with um, in income taxes, how schools are funded based upon neighborhoods and a lot of things like the, the riots, all of those things also will have an impact on this COVID situation. But it has impacted a lot. It, it has impacted students mentally. It has impacted teachers mentally. Um, so it's really, you know, a, a, a impact, uh, it has impacted a lot on the realm, on the realm in regards to funding, um, educational reform, um, uh, just students overall. So, you know, I feel I feel that other, you know, individuals on this call can help you know, put some meat to that. But from my standpoint, it has impacted from, you know, everything. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Harris, uh, you know, I was looking, you shared with me some of the stats earlier about uh, CPS. Uh, for uh, 100,000 students, you mentioned, uh, over 600 schools, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, who is becoming a fan of mine, not a fan of mine, but I'm a fan of hers. <laughs> Hopefully she becomes a fan of mine. That'd be pretty cool. $75 million budget allocated to this uh, reform, or I should say, uh, response uh, toward this situation. I was reading in the England Journal of Medicine, uh, there's this thought that it's more rational for kids to start back school than parents because they have a lower transmittal rate of the disease. I don't know uh, medicinally how you prove that, uh, but they've been kind of coming up with these hybrid models. What are your thoughts? COVID-19, schools reopening, how is that working? Well, it's and, and I'm not CPS. Let me just say that. And I have never been CPS. I actually started out. I taught public schools for six years and private schools for 23. I'm going into my 30th year of teaching. And let me just say, after 30 years in education, I have never seen anything like this before or even close to it in my teaching career. Um, but I do have children and my children have gone through CPS and I have a daughter who's in high school and just even from her particular, the angle of a parent and educator, um, it, it, the, what, it's going to vary from person to person, from community to community, how people are impacted by COVID-19, whether or not there's enough funding. Some school districts already have the funding that they need. Some neighborhoods, I should say, um, and communities already have the funding that they need to get the job done, while others need much more than um, some. There are the 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 biggest challenge I see is the achievement gap, which um, may or may not take seventy five million dollars to to fix. There are some um, serious problems with the inequities in education and COVID nineteen. To me personally, um, has impacted that more than many other situations and circumstances have impacted the achievement gap. And so, for so many kids who um, are at home, if you, even if you buy them, you spend this $75 million on devices for them to use, that is not going to fix your problem. 
there are still some much um, bigger challenges we have with having students even use the device for learning as well as for parents to be able to monitor student learning and the parents have to work. There are so many factors involved with making decisions about whether or not this the, adding money to the budget, reopening or doing a hybrid model will work or not. Believe it or not, this is a very, very, very difficult thing for anybody in education right now. It's a tough choice. And guess what? People still don't have answers. And so uh, personally, I think the biggest impact is the impact that it has had on the achievement gap. And it's just widening the differences between students. When you think about it, students have really been out of school for now almost five months when it comes to in-person instruction. Whether or not they've completed assignments online is neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned, because I've actually seen what students are really doing or not doing and what teachers are really doing or not doing online. The biggest challenge is that students are not learning. And that is a question that educators have to wrestle with and leaders have to wrestle with. How many more months can we have our students not learning? Hmm. It makes sense. Desmond, Mr. Bison, Howard Bison, right? Um, students not learning the impact on achievement. Um, I'm not sure what the reopening plans are for the D.C. area, D.C. metro area. Uh, let me read the hybrid model, how it's kind of going into play. Pre-K and special education will learn in person at school. Grades K through 10 will learn through a mixture of remote learning and in-person instruction. High school juniors and se uh, seniors will be fully remote. Talk to me about that uh, impact on achievement. Really, what are the plans specifically for your area uh, in relation to COVID-19? Yeah, so when I think about that, um, in D.C., they, had, they were going back and forth between the blended model or let's do it completely virtual. Um, I, I, I'm reminded by a quote by Hillary Clinton uh, tweeted. She said, you know, we shouldn't be able to be forced to choose our jobs or our lives. And um, DC just recently made an announcement that we're going to be fully virtual, virtually. Um, because I don't think we should be able to choose our lives between our jobs. And I agree 100% with Dr. Harris about, you know, thinking about the achievement gap and this, our students are truly suffering because they have not been in school. Uh, another aspect I think about is their social emotional learning. When you look at the mission, the vision, a lot of different schools, they talk about um, students being productive members in their community or, or society and stuff like that. And knowing that we are not able to provide them with the skills to deal with their emotions, they can be angry, sad, happy, um, frustrated. And, you know, teachers help them navigate or cope through those feelings. And just thinking about, I just think about how I have to tell my students, oh, we're virtually and we're no longer, no longer having in-person instruction. I had to deal with their trauma on top of my trauma of, I've never done this. I have to change up my strategies, my type of uh, style of teaching. I had to research different pedagogies to be able to drive instruction. Um, and so I think as academics, which is social emotional learning is connected to academics, but it is another a part. And I think that is another aspect that has impacted education is student social emotional learning. Awesome, social emotional learning. Tavares, I wanna throw this to you. Uh, Desmond hit on it. We shouldn't have to choose between our lives and our jobs. When you think about it, you've been an educator, uh, education as an educator. You also have children, uh, in currently right now going through the ranks of those institutions. Um, are you forced? Do you feel forced to have to choose between your life and your job? 
I would say yes. I have uh, two children at CPS. Um, one's about to be a freshman this year, and other's going to be in fifth grade. And I'm highly, highly uh, concerned about sending them back to school, especially uh, with CPS not really having a detailed plan in place. They have not hired, from what I've heard, they have not hired any additional custodians to disinfect the buildings to make sure it's safe. Um, there's an issue with me. I have an issue because uh, they say they only check students each day with, you know, check their temperatures and make sure they have their mask on. But um, in a perfect world, that would work. But uh, in my experience, I, I taught 11 years in CPS. So the issue is, uh, for what I've seen, that the plan they have in place will be a total disaster, un unfortunately. And it's definitely going to put a lot of students and teachers in, in jeopardy. Hmm. Total disaster. Okay. Uh, I want to dig deeper on that one. So what is the future education? We talk about this total disaster. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't know how 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds social distance, is, it feels like that's the antithesis to being that age, right? Uh, they're going to want to gather. They're going to want to be close. What does the future education look like? Is this the dismantling of a system? Is this the shift to more privatized education? Talk to me about the future of education. Well, for me, um, on one hand, if you're in the, in the right situation, right neighborhoods, the right social economic status, that is, it could be a great way to innovate education. But on the other hand, of course, there's inequities in, in society and especially in the black and brown communities. So we have to deal with uh, lack, of lack of technology, uh, instability in, in different home environments. So the gap of, the gap of uh, learning is going to be further separated, in my opinion, because of the inequity that we already have with the brick and mortar schools. Now we have the responsibility placed on parents to make sure their, their, their kids get on computers to learn. And it's not happening. I've seen it with my school district and I've seen it. My wife has worked with CPS 20 years as well. So she she's seen firsthand that even though you're giving them the, 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 the technology, give them access to the Internet, there were still students who did not report to school every day virtually. So that's the, one of the biggest problems we have to deal with. And even my personal experience, I had parents who had, you know, eight, nine children in one house and they had to share a, a Wi-Fi. They had to share um, laptops. So that was another difficulty. So they just basically gave up. I was trying to contact them every day and they did not respond because they were so frustrated about what was happening. And it, in turn, it frustrated me because I was trying to reach out to them. I understood the situation, but it, everything just happened so fast that people could not, um, in terms, they could not deal with the situation. They could not deal with the, the pandemic and what, how it affected um, their children and themselves as well, because a lot of them did not work or they lost their jobs as well. And they had to figure out, also they had, some parents had to figure out how to get babysitters because they had to get to work. And a lot of them had young children as well. Awesome. Awesome. I see my uh, guest Sam has joined. Thank you, Sam. I, she said she was going to join. I'm going to throw this one to you, Desmond, and then to you, Sam. We talk about the inequities. Um, if I was in grade school again, if I was in, if I was school age, right, uh, growing up in Orland Park, this would be like a gift from Santa, right? I had DSL back when people had dial up, right? I, I, it wasn't an issue of resources. I now wouldn't have to be actually physically there, you know, so I could do everything pretty much uh, in my PJs. But that's not the case for all. It seems like this is deliberately done and is widening that gap. Talk to me, Desmond, uh, and then you, Sam, about those widening wow. of 
inequities. You're good now. Talk. Okay. So it just pretty much uh, piggyback what um, Kenny said about um, just the big um, technology gap that um, a lot of students and a lot of families experience of not having um, resources or don't know how to really navigate through a laptop or, you know, a lot of people are connected onto one Wi-Fi. I, I'm so glad he brought up attendance. Uh, you know, schools already struggle a lot for kids just to come to school for so many reasons. And now you're forcing them to now, you know, log on to a computer. I think about, you know, I teach second grade. And so it's very hard for them to do this independently. Um, I think about um, going back to the gaps that they're going to experience. A lot of times when I'm grading their work or asking them questions on Zoom, I hear their parents in the background whispering the answer or I cannot fully see if they truly understand what I'm teaching. Um, I remember in a professional development, they said, how do you give meaningful or purposeful feedback? And again, it's like, how do I give that when my kids um, have parents that are doing the work for them? I cannot see, okay, let me pivot here. Let me do an intervention here. Let me pull out a small group here. Um, and so this is going to truly hurt, especially black and brown kids uh, and not be able to, you know, progress or compete or do anything of that nature. Sam, this is going to truly hurt black and brown uh, kids. Uh, talk to me about that, that reality. There is a um, pending case right now in Michigan. Um, uh, young lady was not attending class, a young black lady, she was arrested. First, I don't even know you could be arrested for not attending school. But we talk about furthering the herd of the black and brown community. Talk to me about that uh, with this kind of, I would say, hodgepodge uh, makeup of a plan to reopen. Yep. Okay, so um, first, um, I think I, uh, I think I've I am familiar with um, the case that you were talking about. And I think that when we talk about uh, criminalization of students, that's a, that's a major issue for black and brown students. Um, they are not deal, dealt with in the same ways that um, predominantly majority white peers are dealt with. They get harsher punishments. Also, um, oftentimes the social, the social supports, social workers, things like that, the programming, um, for that student, it was not made um, all the way available. And uh, there were some extenuating circumstances in that student's case. But um, what we're seeing even now is that there are a lot of, it's a lot of access, a lot of broken down um, access. And I think that in general, black and brown students have not benefited from the educational system in the same way that their peers have because of the limited amount of access, right, and exploration, um, the resources, right? Um, and so that, that it, it, the outcomes, the student outcomes are no longer or we don't have the improved student outcomes that we would want to see because of the lack of access and equity. So when we talk about in terms of um, what this school year looks like and even what last school year looks like, 
we don't really know where the students are academically at this point, right? We weren't able to do our end of the year testing. Um, so that definitely um, leaves a lot of open space, right? And we know that students lose ground generally over the, um, over the summer. So th there's a lot of work that we have to do to make up what they lost, especially in elementary school and high school. It's a little different because um, the content is different. But um, even for my students, I'm a diverse learners teacher. And when I transferred to my, my new school, I was teaching my students how to annotate. They were juniors and seniors and didn't have, you know, the skills to annotate texts and compare texts. So when you are a junior and you don't have those skills, right, and you're, you're about to transition into your senior year and you don't have those skills, you're not really prepared to transition into a collegiate setting, which is what um, Chicago um, and I'm sure other school districts um, uh, hope that their students would do, be college and career ready. Gotcha, gotcha. Dr. Harris, uh, we talk about just kind of uh, the impact. Uh, I want to play a little devil's advocate. There is an opposing side uh, that says, Basically, the reason for a lot of your inner city schools problems has nothing to do with COVID, that these problems were already here. Uh, the lack of performance was already implemented. Uh, all COVID did was basically take the cover off from them. Very insensitive, Mark, uh, in comment. But to say that that side doesn't exist, that'd be a lie, right? When you hear uh, the other side basically say that it's their fault. What what is your response to that? Um, as far as whose fault it is, I, it's a waste of time to try to figure out blame. That's a terrible waste of time to spend any time on figuring out who's to blame. And no, it doesn't take a pandemic. I just read an article um, maybe earlier today. It doesn't take a pandemic to highlight what problems have already existed in education, we already knew these problems were here and the pandemic definitely has um, caused some more severe problems uh, with the achievement gap. But um, let me also say too, if I can add, so so one, I don't, I don't have time for dealing with the other side and the blame, that piece of it. But the other thing that I think we have to consider is um, we, we, we'll be spinning our wheels if we continue to fight against one another. We have to come together to solve this problem. I'm not blaming CPS or their leaders. I'm not blaming my school district or its leaders. I'm not blaming, I was the leader. I'm transitioning out of private school. We, we, and we did an excellent job with this whole um, e-learning situation. We did a bang up job with it, but we were a small school on the West side and we're able to do that. We did have quite a few low income students. I'm not blaming anybody, parents or anybody. As an educator of 30 years, I do realize that we better bring our hearts and minds together in order to solve these problems that have existed for overtime and that are continuing to exist today. We don't have time to fight. We don't have time to blame. We need to pull together our resources, our mindsets, and whatever it is that we have to bring our children together and our parents and our families and our communities together to use what we have. We are an intelligent people. We may not have all of the resources that we need, but we have enough capacity to do what we need to do and stop fighting about this situation. It's hard. It's difficult. Nobody has ever heard of COVID-19 or a pandemic. So it's new for all of us. Let's work together to figure it out and stop blaming. I'm not going to blame my daughter's school district, CPS, for, for, oh, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. I'm going to try to work with CPS as a parent 
to do what is necessary to get my child educated. And I just do believe also, even like I said, with my situations, we keep blaming other people. Well, these kids don't have resources. Let me tell you what my school went one-on-one -on -one, and I gave a, a laptop or a, a Chromebook to every child in my building, regardless of how money they had, how much money they had or didn't have, whether they were low income or not. We had many students who just didn't work because they just didn't feel like it. So we need to deal with some bigger challenges amongst us that are not necessarily a, a, a resource thing, but it's a mindset and an ability or, or disability or capacity thing. We don't not work because we don't feel like it. And one of our biggest challenges as educators is dealing with the routines and disciplines and basic everyday practices that families are putting in or not putting in to help students learn. These are the kinds of things that it doesn't take a million dollars to fix. It don't take a million dollars to fix a routine or it doesn't take a million dollars to build a habit. So that's where I am with all of this. I'm willing to work with CPS. I'm willing to, I choose not to go against the grain. I'm going to pray about it and trust God and really try to do whatever I can as a parent, as a principal, as a teacher to really be able to make things work. Because if we waste time trying to blame and figure out what's wrong, our kids are going to continue to suffer in the process. Awesome. First Lady Evans, doesn't take a million dollars to fix this. Shed some light on that reality. What uh, systemically do educators face uh, with children? We talk about the changing of bad habits. Uh, there's a school of thought that maybe suggests that, you know, obviously it's not the educator's job. That's more of a parental function. But to say that educators don't have parental capacity or they're not influencing children uh, would be an ignorant statement. Tell me about that reality. How do you change this? How do you build this coalition and cohesion you know what give me one second i am dealing with a kid in the background you're Kids good remote learning they're good this is all part of it this is all part of it while i deal with it dr harris while she's doing that tell me about that building uh this coalition tell me how do we start that you brought it up how do we start it well one of the things i've learned is that every good project needs a good leader and i do know that when schools have great leaders, they can be great schools. And when you can, when schools have great leadership teams and when communities have great leaders, they can be great teams. Great things can happen. As we know, I'm not even gonna go there, but in our country, great leaders make great things happen, right? So think about what would happen if we had great teams of leaders come together that trickled right on down to schools, just neighborhood schools, to just really decide how we can pull together all of the people in our community to really impact the situation, what would happen? Awesome. First lady Evans, that great leaders coming together to really yeah. build this strategy and implement it. Who are these great leaders? How do you do that? So let's start by saying that most definitely, we most definitely need to pray for those that are in leadership. That's the scripture, that's the word, right? And so as Dr. Uh, Harris mentioned, I think it's important for us to also go into this with grace in the sense that there's no playbook for COVID, right? And where I'm standing, you do have great leaders that are putting plans in place, pulling resources from different avenues, bargaining on, you know, um, legislators' door, demanding for resources for the students of Chicago. Um, a lot of our inequities go into funding. Um, I don't know if you all follow that, but CPS, Schools in Chicago are not funded equally as peers in uh, within the state of Illinois. That's a fact. So there are great leaders right now putting things in place to make sure, and this is a difficult decision in regards to 
you want students in in seats, right? We understand that there are there are going to be some um, educational losses uh, from this pandemic. We understand that these losses will have an effect from you know this year and years to come. So there are great leaders right now making decisions, getting input from the community, from their communities in regards to what they want this plan to look like, what they want this plan to feel like. Parents have will have the option of sending their students to school or not. But I think, you know, it's, it's there's no playbook. I think um, educators are making the best decisions in regards to how best to support students. There are um, teams that are focusing on how to reopen um, pertaining to social. I know um, Dr. Desmond Goodlow stated around trauma. Um, there is a team within CPS that's focusing on how do we provide the resources to schools um, to you know combat the trauma that students face over this uh, period, in addition to teachers, right? Um, how do we best support um, schools with PPE? Um, how do we best support schools with cleaning? So looking at all of the guidance that's been put forth by ISBE, CPS has unpacked it, even with CDC, trying to figure out what is the best thing, what is the best play. So you most definitely will have, you know, good thinkers, good strategic thinkers in place, but it also comes down to supporting those local level principals, right? Those local level um, individuals that's going to implement the plan. So that's what Dr. Harris was talking about in regards to having the best people in the building, being strategic thinkers, and really implementing what is needed to really make a difference during this time. Because again, there's no, there's no guidebook in regards to how we support schools, how we support teachers during COVID. All of these things are done with the support of God, to be honest with you. Giving school leaders ideas in regards to their best professional decision on how to make a change, how to support students, how to support teachers with the funding that they have that really would make a difference for you know years to come. So there's no true guidebook. And I honestly believe that leaders are making the right decisions um, giving parents the say so in regards to how their how this plan should look for reopening in Chicago. Awesome, awesome. Look, last question. I know I promised you guys thirty minutes. I'm trying to be obedient because we have real professionals, uh, and I see most of you guys in church, and I don't want you guys to be laying hands on me because of my disobedience. So, last question, and then you can give your sign off where they can connect with you. Start with you, First Lady Evans. Yes or no? Should schools reopen? Again, that's a big question. I think schools should reopen with the input from families in regards to whether or not they choose to send their students back. And if there is, if there's a choice to sending students back, then there we should most definitely have protocols in place to keep families and students and, and, and educators safe. So yes. And where can they connect with you? Social media, Facebook, follow me, Sabrina Evans. Um, I don't have Instagram. I do have Instagram, I think. But just follow me on Facebook, Sabrina Evans. Awesome. Dr. Harris, yes or no? Should schools reopen and where can they connect with you? I think that's a, I can't say yes or no. It's a case-by-case situation. The school that I'm leaving, yes, we are opening and they are going to do, um, give parents the choice to send their kids or not. I do believe, and, and believe it or not, most of our parents have chosen to return to school. I do believe they'll be very successful at it. As far as CPS and larger districts, if they can... Um, really, eventually they're going to have to figure this out for, for how long this goes. If this goes way too long, absolutely. 
open those doors um, and figure it out. And I do believe that we can do that. Where can they connect with you? And I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm really like a nobody, but you can connect with me on Facebook. My name, Geraldine Harris. Look, don't listen to her. She is somebody. Do- Look, future Dr. Desmond Goodlow. Yes or no? Should schools reopen? Uh, so I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm going back to what Hillary Clinton said, that we should not be able to force ourselves between forcing between thinking about our jobs or uh, our lives. Um, I think also our number one priority as educators is children's safety. And clearly there's not a sustainable plan for their safety or even my safety. So I am 100% that we need to remain virtually. However, uh, this goes back to, we need to figure out a stronger approach or pedagogy to how to teach students online. Um, because I know like the data says face-to-face instruction or direct instruction is where we can do all of these highly impactful strategies to move student data, but it gets very fuzzy and very hard um, on Zoom. So I, right now I do say no because my no more priority, if I was a principal, will be soon, <laughs> will be no because we're focused on kids' safety. Okay, humble flex. All right, my man. All right, where can they connect with you? Uh, just Facebook. That's Facebook. All right, Sam. Yes or no? Just schools reopen. You got to unmute yourself. There you go. Okay. Should schools reopen? This is such a difficult question. Everybody has already said that, right? Such a difficult question to answer. Um, I agree with Desmond. I'm really concerned about student safety. I'm concerned about access to hand sanitizer and um, soap in bathrooms, paper towels, PPE, all those things. But also as a diverse learners teacher, I understand the the necessity to be right in front of my students um, and being able to really, um, report is very difficult to build over Zoom. So, while I agree with Desmond, I think that I um, agree with um, First Lady Evans and Dr. Harris with um, we have to there has to be some sort of plan put in place. So in August, no, but hopefully soon thereafter, the schools need to open. My students need me and I'm ready to get back to my class. Awesome. Where can they connect with you? Um, they can connect with me at Hey Miss Afram. That's H E Y M I S S A F F R A M on Instagram. Awesome! Look after this. My post production. I have all their social media hyperlinks, so you can just be able to click and follow them. Tavarius, yes or no? Should schools reopen? Well, at this point, I would say I would. I would actually would like to for schools to start the year virtually um, because. Of, because of what I read earlier, it says 29 states out of the country has spiked in new cases. So right now, this is not a good time. It's not a good time based on statistics. And basically, for what I've heard from, you know, my school district has a great plan. But because uh, we, can't, we can't factor in the, the responsible, the irresponsible parents, the irresponsible students who are not socially distancing and also teachers as well. Um, they may not be socially dis- distancing and wearing their masks on outside of school. So I, I'm really kind of concerned about um, the mentality of this country in regards to protecting one another and protecting themselves and protecting family members. So 
right now, I would say initially, but hopefully, I was, I'm hoping by January that we can start really talking about a, a, a detailed, foolproof plan to open in January. Awesome. Where can they connect with you? Um, on Instagram, uh, Nigerian Strength 81. Awesome. Yo, follow him on Instagram. I do. I love seeing the pics of him working out. Yo, we got some exciting episodes coming out on Is This What It Is podcast. I got Colorism coming out. I got the end of Hot Girl Summer coming out. I got Church Lies Phobia coming out. Stay tuned. Mondays and Tuesdays. I'm turning up the end of the summer. It's about to be controversial. It's about to be real. It's about to be ratchet, but it's going to be always It Is What It Is. But until next time, I want to thank my guests. I want to thank Dr. Harris, Sabrina Evans, Savaris Kenny, Sam, the future doctor himself, Desmond Gillow. Appreciate it, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.